Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of the Under Pressure Podcast, your weekly sport podcast where we take a look at players, coaches, teams, or whoever may be under pressure. I am your co-host, Jake Barker, and with me here, who will be with me each and every week, Matt Ellis. How are you doing, Matt? Uh, brilliantly, and it's an absolute privilege to be on such a brilliant podcast. Um, just out of the gate, I thought I'd give you a question without notice. Um, oh, okay. Which, right away. which uh, club do you think benefits most of all from the coronavirus delayed of the season? Um, I mean, honestly, I probably, I'm going to go a bit left field here and um, go with the Gold Coast Suns, actually. That's very left field. I actually didn't even consider them. What, why, is, why is that? I just think with the, uh, it's a, they're still a, also a very young team, obviously, with losing a lot of players each and every year. But I think maybe the development of uh, their players might uh, work out a bit better and they'll have more time to work on their bodies. I know they're um, at home with their families at the moment, but um, I think the development over this year, they might um, build their bodies up and be ready for a good second half of the season, hopefully. I actually think that is a brilliant point because when you look at uh, Gold Coast over the recent years, they've started the year strong and then they've they faded and when, once they faded, they have faded. So I actually... Yeah, so building, yeah, building up the strength in their bodies at the start of the year where they don't have a lot of time to do that. I mean, they're yeah. coming into their pre-season and I think, I think that's... Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I went with a different team. Um, I yeah. went with uh, Essendon because I actually think going into the season, they were one of the most under-pressure sides in the competition. Um, given... Yeah, that's fair what happened in probably from the second half of the season onwards to probably the end of draft night. And there's obviously been a few other things over the uh, summer months that I will uh, go to, but I actually think the season really benefits them because I think the biggest reason why they're under pressure is the whole Joe Danaher storyline. And it was sort of reported in February that he wouldn't, play to the second half of the season, which now very well could be round two or round yeah, three true. or four. Very That's early it. in the season. And it's all the stars have sort of aligned for Essendon and they've been given a huge opportunity for success here. And I know we all have that Essendon mate um, that we all can't stand who says, oh, we're going to finish top four this year. We're top four. We're, we're a lock for top four. We should challenge Ooh. Richmond for the flag. <laughs> and um, you, you sort of look at it and you think, I, I sort of thought about it a bit and went, actually, there's a lot of good happening at Essendon, but there's a lot of stuff that I'm still not convinced with and that's why I think they're under pressure. Um, yeah, I love that. Yeah. What I will just say, just off topic from Essendon is, I want, I feel like, the whole sporting community just wants to talk sport at the moment. And I know there's virtually no sport apart from a bit of horse racing going on at the moment. So we're going to try and limit the Corona aspect from as much as possible as from our, um, our podcast, but there will be times where it sort of does become relevant. So we're going to try and limit it. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to limit it because I, I personally, I just want to talk sport. I'm sick of hearing, each day, I think that's all. day. Sorry, there you go. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
Uh, I'm sick of hearing each day, oh, what happens if it's a 16-round season or an eight-round season? I'm sick of that. I just want to talk sport, and that's what we're going to do. That's it. That's what we love. So, um, looking at Essendon, I thought last year that they had a great opportunity um, when to trade Joe Danaher. I actually thought, in the best interests of the Essendon Football Club, that it was best to trade a player of that ilk um, while you could still get something for him. Um, I know. Yeah, that I, honestly were... thought, I honestly thought that was going to happen as well. I thought that yeah. there was a, an absolute lock for him to go to Sydney, but strange yeah, times. Um, but the, my issue with it was there's a huge injury cloud under him. And when you're offered oh, of course. a first-round pick, um, I can't remember what the final offer that Sydney offered was. was but the thing is, when you've been offered that for someone that has got a huge injury cloud um, and whatnot, why don't you trade him? There's a risk that he may never play f- football again. You could be significantly advantaged. Now I'm going to use yeah. um, Jesse Hogan as an example. Melbourne got a couple of, uh, I think it was a first-round pick and essentially Stephen May for uh, Jesse in the end by the time everything sort of balanced and even out uh, with uh, further trades after that trade. And that that's worked decently well for Melbourne. I know Jesse's got injury issues and he's had a bit of mental health stuff, but it actually... You never hope. Yeah, we, we, um, it actually worked well for Melbourne to get rid of a player that had a lot of uh, back issues. It actually, even though Melbourne's season was rubbish, Melbourne have actually gained a really experience. And you, you listen to Max Gorn, the captain of the club, talk about le- leaders at the club, and Stephen May is the second name he says every single time. So yeah. Melbourne gained a leader. He's a real leader. So, yeah. So even though that May hasn't shown what we what Melbourne supporters want to see each week, he's actually brought leadership to the club, which I actually think is something that no club can have too much of. But going back yeah. to it, I know Essendon said repeatedly, we want a player. And I think that's a completely valid point that Essendon did. And and I, I completely understand why Sydney said no. I, I, I get the reason, but they should have come to the table and made a deal. Yeah, and no, I agree. Like, it was the only way they were going to get him over there. If, and it would have been interesting to see if it was different if um, Joe Danaher was fully fit and there were no injury issues. I think Sydney would have traded that player without, without a doubt, but his trade value would have been high. So it's, it sort of swings a bit. Well, so, yeah, exactly right. But as I said earlier, the stars have aligned for us because they've got Joe Danaher coming in a lot er- potentially a lot earlier in the season because of um, the shutdown period. So it's a real good opportunity for Essendon to actually build a good season and show Joe, why don't you stay a bomber for life? Or not for life, but for the foreseeable future. And that's yeah, get his body right. And that's a problem for es- Essendon is you take Danaher out, they've got no forward line. Um, yeah, correct. If you look at the, um, their goal scorers from the um, the other day, um, Townsend got three, Stringer two, Smith one. The pleasing thing for us in there is they're all players that the club's bought into the club. Uh, all players that the club's bought 
into the club through trades and delisted free agency, which is which is great that they're getting the results. But yeah, it definitely. also shows it shows that they haven't got a long term plan. And Joe Danaher is still very much that man for us and the long term proposition to kick three, four goals a week. So that's the thing. If if Danaher if, let's just look best case scenario for Essendon. Danaher returns round early in the season when we return. Doesn't have to be round two, it could be round five. Plays let's remember that they could be shorter breaks. Let's just say plays ten to twelve games out of seventeen. I think for an Essendon supporter, if you put that on the table right now that they take that. Uh, ten to twelve games kicks three game three goals a game. I think if yeah, that it's happens, a big enough sample size. It's yeah. a big enough sample size. He's playing regular footy again. Essendon have shown them that they can manage his body because they have made mistakes over the last few years. Playing him in the uh, the game before Anzac Day off that very short break was ludicrous. It's just, yeah, great. Just a potential thing for them to explore. Showing that, keep him fit for the whole season. He might go. I love it. Uh, there's obviously the huge family connection for Essendon. He stays. And I'm going to say, if, S- if Danaher gets three goals a game for 10 to 12 games, Essendon are playing finals. Yeah, if they can... If, if Danaher plays and plays well, Essendon play finals for sure. If they can, yeah, um, get a bunch of guys to play around him as well. Like guys, like you said, like Townsend and Stringer, like at his feet. He's got, the, he's got the support network, but that forward line only works with Danaher. It's without Danaher, there there are huge concerns, and I think you need a problem, full forward or centre half forward. I think the problem, and why I think Essendon's under so much pressure, I don't want to sound sound too much like uh, Andy Marr here, here, but there's spot fires everywhere. <laughs> Very Andy Marr like that. Yeah. Like they've got a good list, but as I said, they're missing their forward should Danaher not play or go to Sydney. That is a huge problem. Their coaches, they've actually got one of the best coaching groups, I think, in the competition, but I'm personally not a fan of their succession planning with um uh, John Worsfeld finishing up at the end of this year and then Ben Rutten taking over for 2021 and beyond. I, well, I was just thinking about that. Is that actually going to happen now? That's another question because the potential thing is if the season's late and finishes early into next year, um, Rutten will only be senior coach for a couple of months before round one next year. But I don't want to look too much into... Um, um, issues with Corona. The thing is, succession planning, coaching, I actually think is a really good thing. I think the way that it worked with Sydney and Melbourne worked really well, um, particularly yeah. particu- particular both those clubs. But it's failed at other clubs. Um, it failed at Collingwood. It failed in Collingwood. You, when you've got someone... Uh, on, only early on, though. Only early on. Oh, uh, I think when you've got Mick Malthouse, who was very much the the golden uh, the golden boy of 
Collingwood and then he went, I don't want anything to do with you. That's that says not a lot. very, that says a lot. And to me, that's why that one failed. I think Buck, uh, Nathan yeah. Buckley is a, a really good coach. But when you've got a premiership coach at your club saying, I don't want anything to do with you anymore, I think that's not a good thing. And that was my yeah. issue. Yeah, for sure. Re- I get that. The reason why I don't like this one is I actually, I think for succession planning, there needs to be a point to it. So the whole point of the Melbourne one, the Melbourne succession plan was Melbourne had failure after failure after failure. Bring Paul Bruce in. You've got him for two to three years. He's going to give you 150% every every game, every coach. But he went, I'm not the long-term proposition. Let's bring a young coach in who is a bit younger, who can relate to the players more in Simon Goodwin. And even in Bruzy's yeah. last year, I was one of a couple of Melbourne supporters that were like, I would almost be happy for Goodwin to take over now and Ruse just be a senior assistant. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that's a succession plan with a purpose. This one, I just don't see the purpose. The only reason that, I can... Sorry, continue. Yeah, no, no. What was your point? I could... No, I just see as um, John Worsfold and Paul Ruse is that senior type of coach. And the guys that are coming in after them are quite young and raw. Well, not young, but new to the coaching game. So I sort of, I kind of see it on the same level, if you, if you understand what I mean. No, no, I, I can see how some people can see it that way. For me, I just don't do it. it. It, to me, seemed very rushed and out of the blue. It wasn't, I think if it was, just to use that example, to play, I don't think it, it seemed from a public perspective, very last minute. This yeah, was just ironed out. Yeah. And it also, if you just remember back to that time last year, there was a lot of pressure on Essendon. They were... Oh, for sure. It just, to me, it felt like it was a fix to be able to get the Wooshers contract out of the spotlight because there were a few people for saying maybe it's time for Wusher to go. And by... Yeah making a succession plan, it gave them an easy out for them to say at the end of this year, thanks, Wusher, for your time. We really appreciate it, but we're moving on. It just felt like it was a easy way out. It is a, I think, yeah. It, yeah. it was, I, for I, me, I it was an easy, easy option. The only other reason that I've got that it could have been was Ben, um, ben Rotten got a approach from like a Carlton or a St Kilda or a, a North Melbourne saying, we're interested in you being our senior coach. Are you interested in yeah. he's gone to Essendon and said this? I don't think that happened. It ha- that hasn't been reported by anyone. But they're the only reasons I can think of why. I think a succession plan to work efficiently needs to have a longer vision. And to me, it just felt like, oh, we're sure. just doing a succession plan now. It, it felt like... Yeah, it was rushed. It was rushed. And yeah. maybe... Maybe that's what happened. Maybe that's not what happened. I don't know, but it just seemed an odd thing. It just, it didn't strike me as a a move that felt brilliant off the bat. And it could work out brilliantly for Essendon. I don't know. Also on their coaching staff, they've probably done the biggest coaching recruitment of any club 
in the off season with uh, Blake Carousel, uh, Blake Carousel from Richmond, uh, who's responsible for their midfield and their attack. Used Huge to be a Geelong as well. Used to be a yep. Geelong as well. Can't forget that. Yeah. So, and to be honest, very successful coach. Very successful coach. Huge get for Essendon. Like, yeah, I can't. And I think it sort of, you could see a bit of the the Richmond game plan um, actually unfold in the Fremantle game just a couple of weekends ago. But mm. for me, I think once again, now the obviously I think the Danaher thing is a potential. Let's call that a bonfire, potentially a, um, a bonfire on the side of issues. The coaching issue to me is a little spot fire on the side. But what if Essendon have a bad start to the year? They're one after five games, one win after five games. Mm. I don't know. We don't know who they're playing next week at the moment. Um, but that then the pressure's on Busher. Do you keep Busher for the whole year? Do you move to Ben Rutten? There's that's my issue, and I'm. Then there I is less what, pressure on Rutten next year, though. Yeah, then there's less pressure. So there's a few options, but you also look at their um, coaching group. They've got a lot of experience. They've got um, the f- former Fremantle coach Mark Harvey, who's obviously was a part of the uh, the Baby Bombers in uh, 1993. Um, yeah, that's it. And they've got they've got a number of really good coaches, and I think. That's also another issue I've got with Essendon, and it's a tiny one. And I think getting Carousella is actually a plus. They needed a change in their game plan. They brought someone mm-hmm. in who's been part of the most successful footy team of the last three, four years. And in my opinion, one of the best sides I've seen this decade. I'd put Richmond right up there with the the Hawthorns and even the Geelongs from um the late uh, uh, 2009 and 2010 and 2007, forgot a year, I put Richmond right up there. I think they're one of the best teams just by the way that they all work together. Yeah, definitely. I could agree with that. The other issue I've I've got with Essendon is, this is a tiny one and it worked out, it potentially worked out brilliantly last year, but it was, Essendon have always been that, the difficult to work with club. Um, mm. Adrian Dodoro, depending who you speak to, has done a brilliant job building this list and he's done a horrible job building the list. He's got a team, apart from a Ruckman, a, a, I think, no offence to Tommy Bell Chambers, but he's not the greatest Ruckman in the competition. He's not a in that Nick Nat, Max Gorn, Brody Grundy conversation as the best Ruckman in the comp. Yeah. I feel like that and the forward line is the concern for Essendon. And you look at um, many clubs, look at, um, let's look at, I'm, I'm just going to go to Richmond. They've got two key forwards. They've got two of the, um, they've got the last two Coleman medalists in their team. They've done really well. They haven't put all their eggs in the one basket like Essendon have done with Danaher. They've got the uh, Jack Rebolt, Tom Lynch, combination i think i think that's well and i think the problem i've had with the i i see with the doro is they had an opportunity to look at options and there are some options that essendon could make next year but why hasn't essendon gone to the draft 
recruited a player and started to develop him in the background for if Joe Danaher left. This is something that they probably needed to do three, four years ago, and they failed mm. to do that. It's it's a problem. I know key forwards don't grow on trees, but it would have been nice to see. Mate. Yeah. Sorry, kick on. It would have been nice if they um had got someone in the wings ready to go. Like yeah, um, yeah. Melbourne had. I'm I'm a Melbourne supporter. Um, Sam Wiedemann in in the wings to take over and be that spearhead board. It hasn't worked out yet. I'm I'm still a believer that it could, but just to have someone in the wings would have been a better move for Essendon. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely get that. I think um. <laughs> Free agency's taken a big, taken a big uh, thing, um, hit in the bombers. I think. I think. Have you think, become, have they have they focused too much on free agency and not enough on the draft? Well, I think so because I think they've that's why they've become a bit lazy. So they're banking on if Joe doesn't work out and he leave, he end up leaving at the end of next year or this year, I should say. Um, they will find someone eventually in free agency instead of developing a young guy in the twos um, and bringing him up through there. They're going to try and they didn't try their hand at um, picking up someone in free agency instead of blooding someone from their own crop. Yeah, absolutely. And probably the they've got the biggest uh, key forward on the market at the end of the year in Jeremy Cameron. Yeah, that'd be a big hit. Um, if they if they get Cameron, watch out. They they could win the flag in twenty twenty one. Um, but just on the Cameron situation, he said uh, earlier this year that there's no timeline on it. He's very much happy at the Giants. Uh, he's speaking to the right people, and he also reminded us of uh, Caniglio, who put talks on hold, on hold, on hold. Yeah, I'm re-signing. So, I still don't know where I read the Jeremy Cameron situation. If you had to ask me now to say, is he going to stay or is he going to go? I'd probably stay. He would stay. But I've got... Yeah, I'm, I'm not... Yeah, I'm, in I'm, that not, well. I'm not 100% confirm that. But just going back to that free agency point, Essendon have recruited in the, in the last few years, Stringer, Saad, Shield, and Smith, all in free agency. All yeah. great gets. All yeah, 100%. Get, gets. No knocks on those players, but they're relying too heavily on it, I think. And, like, you sort of, that's reflected in their draft order from this year. They, their first pick was pick 37, and they're not going to be able to recruit that future key forward, realistically, with 37. They're just going to look to pick him up from someone in the future years. And, yeah, it's a very much a high-risk, high-reward strategy. But, oh, for yeah. sure. And that's my criticism of Dodora. He's put all thoughts, let's just grab the top talent, put them in our team. And what happens if Dodoro goes into a room, hypothetically, and they go, we want this key forward, and the other clubs at the other end is going to be as stubborn as Essendon are, uh, so, like they were with Joe Danaher. We're going to hold him to yeah. his contract. That's a problem that they could have in the year, later in, in the future. So that's why they're just some of the reasons why I think Essendon are under pressure. And by the fact that some stars have aligned for them this year with the delayed season, 
I think mm. they're under more pressure because they've got that opportunity. Yeah. It's, it's going to be tough for Essendon. I, I know everyone loves to see Essendon fail, but they've actually got a good list when you take out their forward situation. They've got uh, Merritt, Merritt, um, Fantasia, Parrish. They've obviously got their captain, Dyson Heppel, Kyle Hooker, Anthony Tippin Woody, obviously the place they've recruited in, Michael Hurley. They've got the talent to challenge. They just don't have the complete list and the book ends at both ends of the ground. Hurley, yes, can hold up the defence, but they don't have someone up forward. Is that a fair, in your mind, a fair way to view where Essendon is at the moment? Uh, yeah, I'd probably say so. Definitely. I think that you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Um, we're going to change um, sports and look at one of the most under-pressure jobs in the Australian sporting landscape. You are a selector for the Australian test team for the first test in Australia next summer. Who would you select for that team in one of the most high-pressure jobs there are? I mean, yeah, definitely high, definitely high pressure, no doubt about that. But certainly a job that I'd love to be able to do. Like, it'd be so much, so much fun. But, um, Incredible. And also be, be very incredibly tough, I should say, as well. Trying to decide who to pick from all these great players, I think. Um, so what I've gone with, uh, I've start, I'll go from, go from the top to bottom. Yep. So my opening batsman for the first test in November in this summer. I have David Warner, obviously. He's had a magnificent last few test matches. And opening up with him, I have Mr. Joe Burns. Joe Burns has proven himself in uh, a lot of test matches as of late. His record is very good and also very good at the top of the order as well. I understand he's had a few ups and downs, but as do all um, test batsman. He averages just under 40 for an opening batsman. That's absolutely phenomenal. So um, I would have him opening up with David Warner for the first test. Um, obviously, we've got the kid, Marnus. He'll, pro- he'll bat at three. I've got Smudge in at four. Uh, I've got Head in at five, which is... I'm a bit 50-50 on Head, but I'm willing to give him the first go at this particular spot. I think that's probably fair enough. He's done a very good job. Now, at six, I haven't gone too left field with this, but I've gone somewhere that we haven't gone for a while. And I've actually gone Curtis Patterson. Um, he did a magnificent job when he debuted. When was that? Um, when did he it debut was last, last It was last summer, so summer of 2018-19. Yeah, and... He looked he looked fantastic during um, during every innings and for memory taking an absolutely ripping catch. Can't remember who it was off, but it was an absolute ripper at gully. Um, yeah, so um, if I I'm going to go a bit left field with my number six and go with um, Curtis Patterson. I just think, in my opinion, I I think with Marnus there as your um, fifth bowling option, I think it's good to have that extra batsman, especially going against a team like India because they're a very good team. They're very well balanced. And um, 
I think that's probably the best way to go and try and beat them in a uh, four test series, I imagine. Uh, um, yes. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Um, so I've also kept, kept Paney as the keeper. Um, also, I'm going to stick with him as my captain as well. I think he's done a magnificent job uh, and he deserves to keep that gig until he no longer wants it. He's taken Australia through some pretty tough times and I think he deserves the chance to be in that role for however he thinks he can um, back up to Australian cricket. Could not uh, agree number eight. more with that. Yeah, yeah. I Could not agree he's more. He's been a magnificent Australian cricket. Uh, number eight, I've got Pat Cummins, obviously. Um, the God or Winx, as they call him. The, the thoroughbred. Everyone loves him. Um, now, I haven't... I'm not fully sold on my number nine. I, I have a bit of a, a dilemma. Uh, it's been known that I don't... Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Mitchell Stark, but I understand what he can do for the team. Um, so I have him and I also have James Pattinson depending on injury as well. So I would have one of those two as my number nine. I haven't fully decided, um, but one of those two would fill my number nine spot. I understand you need a left, some teams and you need a left armour, but not always. You had the great teams of um, Gillespie, McGrath and Lee who are all right arm bowlers playing with Shane Moore. So um, yeah, number 10, we've got the GOAT. Uh, Gaz and Josh Hazelwood uh, at 11. Um, unfortunately for uh, this guy, in at my 12th man position, I have uh, Michael Nisa. And he uh, loves he loves a 12th man gig, but I would love to see him get a test in the yeah. in this summer. So he's around the squad as well. I would love to see him in there and uh, debut for Australia because he's done done very well in the uh, Shield season as of late. Um, so that's my that's my twelve for the uh, first test. Um, so what's so just what's looking, your... uh, just before yeah, I do that, I just thought it would be uh, good to just look back at uh, the team that played in the last test match. So the changes that you have made are Matthew Wade and potentially one of James Pattinson and Mitchell Stark out of the team. In yep, comes correct. Patterson and uh, Josh Hazelwood, who was injured in this game. Yeah. They would be the changes, yeah. I, to be honest, I actually like that team. I, I, I'm a huge fan of it. I actually think it's got a lot of strength to it. Um, however, I've actually gone with a slightly different team. Um, yeah, yeah, shoot away. I've, I've gone with Warner. Uh, he had a tremendous summer. There's no other way of putting that. Um, but I've gone with someone else opening the batting with him who had a absolutely tremendous shield season. And I think I've become his uh, biggest uh, uh, biggest member in his fan club, uh, Nick Maddinson. Um, yes, had a very good shield season, I understand. Uh, shield player of the year, 780 runs at an average of uh, 86.67 with a high score of 224 that he got at the uh, Junction Oval Road. Oh, that was that was, was yeah that was yeah the road, was the road in round one. Yeah. Um, I've I've been hugely impressed with his shield form. I've watched a few shield games here and there across the summer, and I thought Nick Maddinson played brilliantly. My concern is obviously 
is actually him being on the big stage. And this is going to be weird. He had a disappointing, a really disappointing Big Bash. Um, I just have that horrible feeling that he may be a great player but doesn't like the spotlight. I could be wrong. I do, you think, very much do you think that forms? Do you think that form switched though? Do you think now he's more of a red ball player than a white ball player? From mem- going based off his Sheffield Shield performance, absolutely. Um, but I think yeah. he also had a very good domestic one day season. Um, once again, I'm going off the top of my head, but um, I was impressed with him, and I think he, in my mind, he was selected prematurely um, for the Australian side yeah, earlier on. Um, yeah. And I think that's actually halted his process. And I think for him, the change to move to Victoria, he also had another great Victoria season last time. He had to earn his way into the side um, then. But I actually thought he's since moving to Victoria, he's been brilliant. Um, I think yeah, I can't, I can't knock, yeah, I can't knock that. 780 runs, in, you don't see yeah. that very often. Um, I've been going with Marnus Lebeshang at three, I think. Since him coming in as a concussion sub for Steve Smith in the uh, third Ashes Test match, uh, you can't actually fault a single thing he's done, maybe apart from a couple of dropped catches, but he's been brilliant. He's, I can't remember a player that's improved that much that quickly in anything. And I think the last person I said that about was actually Steve Smith. And I think the rate that he's improved was better than the rate that Steve Smith improved from being an all-rounder bo- leg-spin bowler to the best test batsman in the world. Um, yeah. So I'm a huge um, fan of, Steve, of uh, Marnus Lebeshane. I've then got Steve Smith at four. And given that his leadership band finished a couple of days ago, I have decided to give him back the vice-captaincy. Um. I personally think he is the way forward as captain. Um, definitely in the test team. I think, like Tim Payne, so Aaron... Sorry, just a he, side note. So do you think he, he will come back as captain? Yes. Yes, and I think that after is the, the right move to make. Yes. He will replace Tim Tim, after Tim Payne. Once Tim Payne is done and is ready to step aside, it's yeah, cool. Steve's team that, again. And I'm yeah, also going to apply... I'm also going to have the same rules in place for Aaron Finch. Aaron Finch can captain the limited overs team for as long as he wants. Yeah, 100% I've, I've agree the, with that. I've got the same rules for both of them. Um, I've got Travis Head at five. I think he deserves uh, first crack. I think yep. he was unlucky to be dropped in England. I actually thought, despite his scores being not huge, I thought he was one of the more consistent performers. Got to 30, 40 quite a bit, but just failed to capitalise on it. Uh, Tim Payne as the captain at uh, six, um, which I know might be a bit high for him, but um, I'm very happy with that. Ah, number six. So you're going with a bit of a bowling strength. I've gone with a, a bowling attack. I will just point out that I've selected this team based on being played in, at the Gabba first up and given uh, no one knows what the schedule is going to look like, um, and this actually isn't coronavirus related. Uh, Cricket Australia have got a problem on deciding where Australia plays India. Um, Australia's very keen for them to play at the Gabba because it's a fortress. Um, but we've also got to play a test against Afghanistan, which 
I know most people will expect it to be a thrashing, but I'm actually genuinely excited to just see that. It's just, I'm pretty sure it's just a one test uh, against Afghanistan and they just need to figure out which test ground that they give that to. And I think Melbourne and Sydney are safe. So it's between Adelaide, uh, the Perth Stadium and the Gabba. I think um, it's going to be Perth. In my opinion, I think it'll be Perth Stadium. Yeah. By crowds, I would say, unfortunately, Brisbane, you get Afghanistan. But because I think the fortress mentality against India, I want us to play India at the Gabba. And you pretty much, I don't think um, Adelaide deserved to lose that test. But it's also, if it does go to Perth, it is an opportunity um, to play at the Wacker and play at a bit of a boutique stadium, which would be a nice feel. And that might actually be something that uh, Cricket Australia have to look at for also coronavirus needs should the AFL want Perth Stadium that late in the summer. But that's, uh, as I said, I don't really want to talk about that stuff. Um, I've then got uh, Paddy Cummings at seven, James Ooh. Pattinson at eight, Mitchell Stark at nine, Josh Hazelwood, who I think is the most underrated bowler in the Australian team, at 10. And the GOAT, Gary, uh, Nathan Lyon, at 11. <laughs> Gary. Um, nice, Gary. If it's not at the Gabba, unfortunately, uh, James Pattinson, I've got missing out. And I would put um, the pro- the future pro- one of the future prodigies in, in Will Pukowski. I think he's he's been around the mark for a long, long time. And I think he's ready. He's... Got a first-class average of 42. Uh, he's got over 1,200 runs, a high score of 243, 400s, 550s from 20 matches. That is a very impressive CV for such a young kid. Um, yeah. And just just thought well, I, he was going to captain Australia A in February this year, but due to concussion injuries, had to miss out. I think yeah, that's right. a hugely exciting prospect. And I think... Um, given what Australia's got coming up over the next, from now for 24 months, I've got the Test Summer against India. They've got the inaugural Test Championship um, in uh, the English Summer of 2021. And then they've got the Ashes straight after that. So being the first Test Championship, um, I know Tim Payne said recently that that's one of his big goals. He wants to be the first ever captain to win um, the Test Championship and then hopefully for him to come back and play another Ashes series. I've also got Cameron Green in the... um, I know for home summers you can sort of only have 12 players, but I'd love him to be around the squad next summer. Um, I can understand that. He had a very good um, uh, Shield this year as well. He finished three um, shield uh, uh, umpire votes behind Nick Madison and Moses Enriquez for Shield Player of the Year. Yeah, uh, six hundred ninety-nine runs at sixty-three. He's twenty years old, um, and he had a phenomenal summer. He is an all-rounder. He didn't bowl much due to injury, but his batting was brilliant. Um, it should be noted that prior to last summer, his Shield batting average was sixteen point seven five. So he's He's improved dramatically. Um, but, yeah, that's my side. A um, 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 couple of unfortunate people to miss out are, like you, Nisa, I 
he deserves a baggy green. Um, oh, he does. He's, I wanted to give him a spot, um, but uh, with those four quicks up and firing, it's, you're talking about potentially four of the top six, seven best bowlers in the world. They're in the same category as Rabada, um, uh, Trent Bolt, um, and Boomer. So I, that I think is a strong side. And at the Gabba, that's a terrifying prospect for any opposing side. So oh, definitely. Bowl, it's very bowling heavy, but with those four quicks, you'd like to think that that could steamroll most teams. And India being the number one test team in the world, it'll be a fascinating series. Um, yeah, which I actually can't wait for. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see that actually. Um, if they do go with the um, the five bowlers, because I don't think we've done that in a very long time. So it'd be, I'd like to say, I'd, I'd definitely like to see it at some point. So yeah. um, that'd be very interesting if we and saw that in the very first. They've said for a while that they'd love to see all four play together. And I was, I was actually hoping to see it in the Ashes last summer, uh, last winter. Um, but that's just an exciting prospect for the selectors who are going to be under enormous pressure to select that 11. And I, to be honest, neither of us have Matthew Wade, uh, who did get a Test 100 last summer. So he's very unfortunate. I'm not his biggest fan, but he's unfortunate to miss out in our sides. Um, Curtis, Patterson. Curtis Patterson, also unlucky to miss out. Um, he was probably the next player picked in my side, if I'm honest, or that, that sort of 13-man squad. So it's going to be an interesting time for the selectors to come up with that 11. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult to pick from the uh, wide range of players that, that we have at our disposal. We do have a great range of uh, batter, batters, bowlers. Um, so I think it's going to be very difficult for the selectors to choose who who they're going to go with and what what lineup suits best for the first test. And we've obviously had for the last few summers, we've had so much bowling depth. We've had so many bowlers that in other generations would have played a lot of test cricket, but just given the top talent that we've got, have missed out. And I think that's also now becoming a thing with our batting, which is something that we've been screaming out for for ages, is that batting depth where players need to score almost Nick Maddinson's numbers to be considered, not yeah. just to be considered. Um, I remember hearing, watching the cricket a few summers ago when they were saying, we're players back when you had the Pontings, the Langers, the Hussies, the Clarks, the Haydens. You had to sort of make 1,200 runs just to even be noticed and be in the conversation. So it's going to be a really tough job for the selectors this year, but it's a great problem to have. And I think Australian cricket could be a lot stronger and I would expect Australia to beat India um, this time round. I know India won last time round in the absence of uh, Steve Smith and David Warner, but all the other players have developed so much since then that it's going to be a much stronger side than the side that Australia put out that summer. 100%. Couldn't agree more with that. With that. And with that, I think it's actually the the end of our first uh, podcast, Under Pressure. Um, as we said, we will be doing a podcast each week and we look forward to it then. Thank you 
for joining us, for me, and I think Jake's got a quick message he wants to send out. Uh, yeah, just, just want to thank everyone for tuning into our first first episode. I understand it's a bit of a tough time as we don't want to really draw on it, but um, you might hear some more episodes uh, every now and then if we've got a bit more time as well. So there will be one a week, but you may, may find out that there could be a couple more um, each week coming up. Yeah, so thanks for joining us and we'll speak to you again next week.